All right, hi everyone, and welcome to Chi Alpha. My name is Amber, like you said, and I am honored to be sharing with you guys tonight. I spent the last three years at Chi Alpha as a student, and then this past year as an intern, and God has done so much in my life, and tonight I get to share a little bit about what he's been teaching me lately. So tonight we are going to continue our sermon series entitled Awaken. So last week, Derek told a story about a blind beggar and Jesus healing him and how the beggar truly wanted an encounter with Jesus. And because of his hunger and humility, Jesus moved powerfully in his life and healed him, leading us to the idea that if we are hungry for God, then God's going to come where he's wanted. And that is how we're going to see an awakening on our campus. So tonight, we're going to be looking at John chapter 3, where we're going to read a story about Jesus speaking to a man named Nicodemus. In the Gospels, we often come across three different groups of people throughout Jesus' interactions. First, there's the all-inners. These were Jesus' disciples or followers. Jesus had their whole heart, and they would do anything for him. The second group was the wait-and-seers. They were more like, I'll wait and see if this Messiah thing works out. I'm not totally sure that Jesus is who he says he is. And then lastly, there was the naysayers. These were the people that were trying to kill Jesus. Typically, it was this group called the Pharisees because Jesus often taught things that offended them in their religious traditions. So Nicodemus would have fallen into the wait and seers category. Jesus really intrigued him, but he had some questions for him first. You see, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was in that group of people that usually despised Jesus. And one of the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was the highest Jewish court, he came from an important family in Jerusalem, and he was seen as an authority on scripture. So he was a pretty impressive dude. And during this time, Jesus had been performing miracles, helping the blind see and the lame walk. Nicodemus noticed this, and he wanted to know more. But he didn't want other people to see him talking with Jesus, and so he came to talk with Jesus late at night. John 3, 1 through 8 says this. Now there is a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for tonight. God, thank you for each individual that you've brought into this room. And God, I pray that you'd speak through me and that you would open the heart of every person in this place. Amen. So most of you know my husband, Jacob. So he's over there. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah, good, Jacob. So he works at the Panera Bread here in Cedar Falls. And let me tell you, it has some pretty sweet perks, at least for me. My favorite one of those being his 75% off discount. I've always liked Panera, but I began to like it even more when I got to eat there for like basically for free. So all I do is I text him what I want, and then he brings it to me, so delivery. <laughs> <laughs> so about two years ago, Panera came out with this Sip Club membership for, for like $12 a month. You can get unlimited tea, coffee, drinks, like whatever you want, which is pretty sweet. And then they said if you signed up, you could also get the first three months for free. 
And so I signed up, but if I'm being honest with you, like I totally planned to cancel the second that the free trial was done. Like I'm only cool with the free stuff. And so the three months went by and then I canceled it. And I was kind of bummed after that, like I missed it. It was like super convenient. But then a couple of weeks later, I was offered another free trial if I was to re-sign up for the subscription. So then I did that, canceled it, and then they offered it to me again. <laughs> so like, I'm unashamed to admit that this process has gone on numerous times. <laughs> so something that I've discovered is that I love Panera because of the perks that it gives me. But as soon as it costs me something, I'm out. <laughs> I'll come back in a few months when it's free again. And I've realized that at times in my life, I've struggled to treat Jesus the same way. It's easy to follow Jesus till it costs you something. Like my Civ Club trial, we enjoy the free side of Christianity, but then he asks us to give up something, or he disagrees with what we think is right. When he drifts away from what we want him to be, our faith wavers. You may have heard the A.W. Tozer quote that says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our perspective on who God is shapes our life. It changes the way we follow him. The problem is, we often follow a God that looks a lot like us. A man named Scott McKnight, who's a New Testament professor in Chicago, has taught a class on Jesus for many years. And he would give this survey to his students that asked him about their likes, dislikes, beliefs, and so on. And then he would follow up the survey with one about Jesus' likes, dislikes, beliefs, and so on. And what he came to find is that 90% of the time, the answers were exactly the same. Just like God made us in his image, we want to make God into our image. John Mark Comer in his book, God Has a Name, says, here's how you know if you've created God in your own image. He agrees with you on everything. He hates the person you hate. He voted for the person you voted for. If you're a Republican, so is he. If you're a Democrat, so is she. And above all, he's tame. You never get mad at him or blown away by him or scared of him because he's controllable. And, of course, he's a figment of your imagination. In America, we've created a Jesus that is a figment of our imaginations. We've created a Jesus that's okay with us going to church on Sunday and doing whatever we want the other six days. As David Platt put in, puts in his book Radical, we want a nice, middle-class American Jesus, one who doesn't mind materialism and who would never call us to give away everything we have, a Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion and does not infringe on our comforts because, after all, he loves us just the way that we are, a Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. Since our country's birth, our people have idolized freedom and independence from others. Our lives are centered around the American dream. We want to graduate college, land our dream job, get married, have two kids and a dog, and live happily ever after in a perfect house with a picket fence. Now listen, I get it. When I was a freshman, I loved making art, so I was a design major, and my plan when I came to UNI was just to graduate, move to a city, live in a pretty house, and travel the world. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do that. But the difference between me then and now is that even though I was getting full off the American dream, I was spiritually starving. For those of you like me, you grew up in church and you know who Jesus is, but you're spiritually starving. 
We pursue the American dream, live freely, land the job, buy the house, travel the world, but in the end, we are still spiritually starving. We're spiritually starving because the Americanized Jesus that we've been following is not the crucified Jesus that we read about in the Bible, but a phony. Many of us love the perks of following Jesus, and there's a lot. We love coming to service and singing along to a talented worship team. We love small groups and the community that encourages us. These are all great things, and we should enjoy them. But it's only a sliver of real Christianity. What if I told you that Jesus has so much more to offer you? When you live a life that is spiritually starving, Jesus can come up short. Maybe you're here and Jesus just feels like a chore. He's just the big guy upstairs that you have to please. This Americanized Jesus is one that you have to perform for, one where his love is based on what you do for him. But what if I told you that there's more to life with God than just fulfilling obligations and doing religious things? What if I told you that the real crucified Jesus has so much more for you? Looking back at the text, Nicodemus was faithfully following the religion that he thought was from God. But then he encountered the real Jesus, and he began to question everything. Verse 2 says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. The Jewish people had been waiting on the promised Messiah that the Old Testament prophets had talked about. Because of the Roman Empire's control and oppression on the Jews, they expected that the Messiah would come from the clouds with an army of angels, sword in hand, ready to kick the Romans out and basically take over the empire for themselves. You could say that they wanted their Messiah to swoop in, be their knight in shining armor, and just rescue them from the Romans. But that wasn't the heart of God. That was the heart of the empire. The Jews let their religion be shaped by the Roman Empire. Back then, it was all about conquering and fighting, just trying to be the one that landed on top. Doesn't that sound kind of American, too? We want power. We want our name in shining lights. When we live for the American dream, our life is about building our empire and our kingdom, not God's. We are like the Pharisees, but maybe to more of an extreme. They wanted a king to take over for them, but in America, we don't even want one. Our country was founded on running away from the idea of a king. We run away from the idea of someone telling us what to do, someone, us, someone telling us what is right or wrong. And so in turn, we can also struggle to make Jesus our king, to surrender to his way. And this is why Americanized Christianity is the religion of the empire. We want Jesus to swoop in and be our knight in shining armor, but not our king. So the Jews of this time were expecting God's kingdom to physically overtake the Roman Empire, to rule in a way that would glorify themselves. But Jesus was bringing a different kind of kingdom, one that would glorify him. Verse 3, Jesus replied to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What? How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into a mother's womb to be born. So Jesus probably shattered the mind of this first century Jew right here. If you've grown up in church, you may have heard the term born again before, but Nicodemus, who was a teacher on scripture, had never heard this. Imagine what he was thinking, like, Jesus, you're telling me that the only way I can get to heaven 
is to be born again? Like, do you realize what you're saying here? And let's not forget who Jesus said this to. Nicodemus, as a Pharisee in the highest Jewish court, probably had a pure, perfect Jewish bloodline. And Jesus saying that he needed to be born again shattered his Jewish assumption that by being a Jew, or his old birth, guaranteed him a place in God's kingdom. And this is why Nicodemus thought Jesus' call to new birth was so strange. Nicodemus thought that he was saved because of who he was. He was a Jew, one of God's chosen people. He did his religious duties and he did them well. He was a good person. I think a lot of times we struggle to think the same way. We feel like we have to fulfill religious duties in order to be saved. In America, we have this earn it mindset. If you want to be great, you have to earn it. If you want to be successful, then earn it. We think, if you want to be saved, earn it. But with this mentality, we are then saved because of who we are. And that is what Nicodemus thought too. But Jesus turned the tables. Jesus told Nicodemus that he could only be saved because of who he is. Jesus was pointing out that actually none of the Jews, even the most religious of them, had salvation unless they had been born again. So what does that mean? When we look at the original Greek text, the word for again also translates to a second time or of God. Jesus is saying we must be reborn of God. This means that we must live a new life when we encounter God and are born again. Birth is the beginning of life. We must begin anew. That is what Jesus meant by a second birth. And this is something that the American church often misses. We go about our life and if we meet Jesus, we kind of just add him onto the side. A Christian spin to the American dream. We start going to church, maybe put a Bible verse in our Instagram bio for getting wild, but nothing life-altering actually happens. We want to just keep living the way that we have been. And listen, I've been there. And what I discovered is that this is just a shallow version of Christianity. I used to try to follow all of God's rules, but then it didn't go very well because I didn't understand them fully, and then my heart wasn't in it. So then I just carried around all this guilt and shame, just trying to please Jesus so I could go to heaven. But I had it all wrong. Have you ever had the thought, I love Jesus, but I couldn't give up drinking for him. I love Jesus, but I would never break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend for him. That was me. (laughs) Maybe you thought, I'm a Christian, but I don't agree with what the Bible says about this or that. This is the way of Americanized Christianity. We live our lives the way we want, the way that we think is right, and if we meet Jesus, we kind of just add him onto the side. And this is how we get trapped in living a double life. We want Jesus, but we also don't want to give up our old life. So the first 18 years of my life, I was caught up living this double life, trying to live for both myself and Jesus. And what I didn't realize is that I was missing out on the best parts of Jesus. I was going against the grain of the universe, trying to follow God, but it's, it wasn't the way that God had made me, so of course God, it didn't feel good. I was trying to follow his rules without even knowing him. And this isn't the way that God designed it to be. As Jesus tells Nicodemus, when we give our lives to him, we must be reborn. There must be a before and after. This means letting go of our old life and starting new with the life of Jesus. And this is how you get to the best parts of Jesus. This is how you experience the new birth that Jesus was talking about. When I fully surrendered my life to Jesus, he took me out of the shallow end and into the deep, 
end of Christianity. And it was here that I could finally enjoy Jesus because I was no longer trying to earn anything. I actually got to know my Savior. I was freed from having to earn anything and trying to be great and successful and popular. I no longer needed those things because I learned that I was great in Jesus' eyes, successful in his eyes. I was reborn out of shallow, lifeless, Americanized Christianity and into true life with Jesus. Following him became a blessing, not a weight to bear. But before I could get to this resurrection of new life with Jesus and be reborn, I had to die to myself and to my old life. This way of dying to yourself may sound like an ending, but it's actually only the beginning. It's an invitation to leave what is shallow and dive into the deep end with Jesus. Now, a lot of us have accepted Jesus into our hearts. Now Jesus is asking us to be reborn, to live a new life where we are no longer in charge, but he is. We must be awakened and be reborn out of following the shallow, Americanized Jesus and into following the real, crucified Jesus. He continues in verse five. Jesus answered Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. So at this point in their conversation, Nicodemus must have been overwhelmed, questioning everything that he devoted his life to, everything that he had pictured the Messiah to be. I imagine Jesus responding to him saying, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I did not come to deliver the people from Rome, but from sin and spiritual death. Oftentimes, we see that Jesus was rarely what people expected him to be. He could have come to earth as royalty or a warrior, but instead he came as a helpless baby. He should have been worshipped. He was the son of God. But instead, he washed the disciples' feet. Even when Jesus was hanging on the cross, people cried out to him, Jesus, if you're really the son of God, save yourself. Get yourself down. And this is what I mean when I say we must follow the crucified Jesus and not the Americanized Jesus. Jesus could have done what they wanted to. He had the choice to either leave the cross or stay on it. The crucified Jesus chose to stay. Following the crucified Jesus means that we cannot just be Christ-centered, we must also be cross-centered. We are missing out if we embrace Jesus as our miracle-working, triumphant Savior without also embracing the cross and dying to our old life. And this is what Jesus was calling Nicodemus to. Jesus wanted to free Nicodemus from being wrapped up in what the Pharisees of their day taught and modeled and what the world's way of discipleship was. And their world's way of discipleship is still deeply ingrained into our current world. So Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, highlights a few key differences between the world's way of discipleship, or our country's way of doing things, and Jesus' discipleship. First, the world tells us to be popular. Our society, and our generation especially, feels this immense pressure just to try to please people, to look good, and to get everyone to like us. But Jesus rejected popularity. Popularity is actually one of the temptations that the devil used against Jesus when he was led into the wilderness. 
Satan brings Jesus to the highest point of the temple, and then he tells him to cast himself down and have angels save him so that the world could see that he is the Son of God and that everyone would follow him. But Jesus refused. When Pharisees would command Jesus to perform a miracle and prove himself, Jesus would refuse. Jesus was not a people pleaser. Ouch. (laughs) Jesus didn't need to please the Pharisees or anyone else because his identity wasn't in being popular. Like Jesus, we must free ourselves from the need to look good in other people's eyes. We must be content being popular with God alone. Now hear me, it's not bad to want to look or to want to be a good, likable person. Jesus doesn't condemn popularity, but instead he redirects it. Jesus frees us from the need to seek other people's approval. So instead of seeking Instagram likes, we should seek to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus knows that only his approval is ever going to satisfy us. The next teaching of the world is to be successful. America's biggest problem is our definition of success. In America, we view success as having a lot of money, having nice things, a high status, getting attention, and having a large following. We live in the megachurch era where a church's success isn't measured by the presence of God, but instead of how many people are in attendance and how good of a show they can put on. America preaches bigger is better. Jesus, as we have discovered, completely flips the script. Jesus rejected successism. Jesus could have easily created a megachurch. He could have had a lot of money, fame, anything the world had to offer. But that wasn't success to him. Jesus' biggest success was dying on the cross and being raised three days later. To everyone else, dying a criminal's death on the cross looked like his biggest failure. Success to them would have been taking the emperor's place on the throne, but not to God. So what is your view of success? When you think of someone who's successful, what kind of person pops into your brain? Take that thought and compare it with this. According to Pete Scazzaro, real success is becoming the person God wants you to become and doing what God calls you to do in his way and according to his timetable. I'm gonna say that again. Success is becoming the person God wants you to become and doing what God calls you to do in his way according to his timetable. We must be reborn out of the world out of thinking that God is just waiting for us to earn our place to be with him. Instead, we get to share in Jesus' success on the cross. Lastly, the world teaches us to avoid suffering. Being comfortable and being successful isn't just expected here in America, but idolized. We avoid anything that might challenge our beliefs or our comfort. So one time when Jesus was on earth, There was a very wealthy man that went up to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus told him, follow my commandments. The young man said, I've done all these things since I was a young boy. But Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. And the man went away sad because he couldn't bring himself to do it. I've been this young man before. Maybe not the rich part, but I too have walked away from Jesus because 
I was sad because I, he, what he was asking me to do just seemed like too much. So when I was a freshman in high school, I got into a relationship with this guy. I ended up dating him for almost four years. And it was only a few months into the relationship that I knew God was asking me to break up with him because he didn't know Jesus. And for a long time, I couldn't do it. Because we had been together for so long, it really felt like Jesus was asking me to give away everything I had. But eventually, I let Jesus in, and I stopped avoiding this way of suffering. I died to myself, and I ended the relationship. But in return, Jesus brought me resurrection. If I hadn't broken up with that guy, I never would have met my current husband. I had to die to this old relationship so that Jesus could bring me life in the new. It's a hard pill to swallow, but the thing is, like the rich young man, it's entirely possible that Jesus will ask us to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. Jesus is going to ask us to do hard things for him. But if we want all that Jesus has for us, we must be willing to die to the old so that we can live to the new. When Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for his crucifixion and then tell them that he was going to die and be raised to life, Peter got real uncomfortable. He said, no, Jesus, this shall never happen to you. Peter was like us. He didn't like the idea that following Jesus would include suffering and perhaps even death. But Jesus replied to Peter and said, and I quote, get behind me, Satan. Jesus rebuked Peter for being a stumbling block to his mission from God. You see, Jesus embraced suffering. So right after this, Jesus says to Peter and his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. An incredibly bold statement from Jesus. At this time, the cross was a symbol of Roman oppression, and it was reserved for the worst of criminals. For Jews to hear that their Messiah would hang on a cross was a scandal, and it remains a scandal for us today. Dying to ourselves sounds like a punishment, but what we miss is on the other side of the cross is resurrection. We can be reborn into a meaningful relationship with Jesus where we have nothing to prove. We can cast our crowns before him and trust that his way is better. We can trust that Jesus is a much better king of our lives than we are. As we have learned from Nicodemus and Jesus, we cannot receive new, fulfilling life in relationship with Jesus without leaving behind our old lives. Being reborn into following the real, crucified Jesus means that the focus of our life must be the cross. Throughout his whole life, Jesus' mission was the cross. He didn't let popularity, the idols of greatness or success, or the fear of suffering get in his way. Jesus had one mission, to deliver us from sin and spiritual death. And he extends the same call to us we must decide if we are going to live a cross-centered faith, if we are going to live by Acts 20:24 20, that says, I consider my life worth nothing to me, 
My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. We must not only believe in Christ, but follow him to the cross. We must resist the influence of our surrounding culture that tells us that we have to be great, we have to be successful and popular, and instead seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. With that, the main idea tonight is we must be reborn into following the real crucified Jesus. Throughout this message, you've heard bits of my story. I settled for following the Americanized Jesus for the first 18 years of my life. And it wasn't until I came here and I sat in these seats that I opened up to God and he began to reveal his true self to me. And I can now attest to the fact that the real Jesus is so much better than the Jesus that I had made up, this Americanized Jesus. For those of you sitting in these seats, he wants you to get to know the real him too. You see, the real Jesus loved you so much that he left heaven, a land with no suffering, so that he could live the perfect life here on earth in our place. He took up the cross that we were meant to carry, and he hung on that cross even though he had the choice. He chose to stay out of his love for you and for me, and he gave his life up for us. But that's not the end of the story. It's through his resurrection, by him being raised to life, that we too get to experience this resurrection and new life. And this is available for you tonight to experience if you are ready to be reborn. Crucified Christianity is realizing that the good life that we're all chasing is on the other side of dying to yourself. When Jesus said, whoever loses their life for me will find it, he meant it. We can have hope in Jesus. We can die to ourselves and follow him because Jesus defeated death. Death and dying to ourselves is not the end of the story, but only the beginning. Imagine what God could do if this group of college students decided not to follow this Americanized Jesus, but instead be reborn. Imagine what could happen if we laid down the American dream and began to pick up godly dreams. I believe we could see our campus transformed, missionaries being sent out and seeing our campus, our nation, even the world come to see an awakening through rebirth in Jesus. But this will only happen if we commit to following the crucified Jesus. When Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him, we have the same choice to make that he did. Are we going to leave the cross or stay on it? When everything in us is telling us to save ourselves, are we going to follow Christ crucified? Paul says in Galatians chapter six, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Even when it is hard, we must follow Christ crucified. Even if we have nothing, we follow Christ crucified. Even in the face of temptation, persecution, or doubt, we will follow Christ crucified. Please stand with me. If you're here tonight and you've never accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made for you on the cross, 
and you wanna be reborn. You wanna experience this new life that he has waiting for you. I'm gonna ask you to do this simple gesture of just raising your hand, just as a signal to God that you are ready, that you want to be reborn and experience this new life with Jesus. So I'm gonna count to three, and if that's you, you can raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you, let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for speaking tonight, God. Thank you for these new friends that want to enter your kingdom, God, and be reborn. Father, I pray that you would make them new, God, that you would show them your true self, Jesus, and that they would fall in love with you and nothing else. Amen. Others of you might be here tonight and you realize that you might have been following the Americanized Jesus instead of the crucified Jesus. I want you to take this last song and really think about the words that we are singing. I want to make this a declaration that we are following Christ and Christ crucified. So if there's anything on your heart, we have people in the back corners who would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you if you need. And so let's seek Jesus. God, I thank you for tonight. Jesus, I pray that you would let us not just stay here, but help us to live this out. I pray that we would never take advantage of what you did on the cross, but instead inspire us to pursue you and to pursue rebirth through you. Thank you for this resurrection gift that you give us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.